0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the SkullCast for episode 96. One of my favorite numbers, actually. One of my favorite years. That's when the Final Fantasy VII demo came out, as we all know. As we all know, that's what 96 means to most what people, right? Fuck? That's what it means to me, What anyway. are you talking about, Jesus about <laughs> <laughs> It's true.
1: That's why I like 96. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, Anyways. But-
0: <laughs> this is your host, Walter. And joining me today are Azil. Hey... And special guest, Rupert Sinclair from the forum. Hey. Thanks for joining us, Rupert. No problem. As you may know or may not know, Rupert has joined us in the past. Uh, Rupert is one of our Patreon donors. He's also a relatively smart guy, so we're happy Thanks. to have him on the show. <laughs> he's been lo- he's been with us on the forum for a really long time, actually. I think I looked and it was 2005 when you joined us. Yeah. Back in the chaotic years, yeah, ninth
2: grade for me. Whoa, Uh,
0: man! I was just out of college in that year, and that was 2004 was the height of chaos for the forum. It was it was the days of 10,000 posts in a month, that kind of stuff, like crazy shit. Thankfully, we don't have that happening anymore. But uh, welcome, welcome back. There's not a lot of Berserk news. I'm not sure if you've seen or not, but um, Dark Horse delayed the guidebook again. This is your regularly monthly scheduled uh, Dark Horse has yet again delayed the guidebook uh, segment of the show. Uh, So don't look for it uh, in July because it's coming in August, supposedly. That's all for that. Uh, No date on the Grunbeld novel that I know of. That's a shame. There's no news. Yeah, what a shame. There's no news. I think volume 39 was also pushed back to July. I'm pretty sure that's correct uh, as well. That was originally in June. June. Anyway, um, the bit of news this month is, of course, that episode 356 was split across two months, which is the first time that's ever happened in the series. And so uh, that was an interesting process for us understanding that information as it came across. Like, huh. I wonder if this is just a typo here, if this is just episode 356, part two or number two, as we've had sequential numbered episodes in the past, you know, that's happened a couple times, but that wasn't the case. It was actually that, boy, that last episode sure was short. It was 15 pages and this one's nine, nine pages. Add those up, you get 24 pages, which, what do you know? That's the, that's the length of a relatively long episode, but not out of the norm. It does seem that that is the case, that Young Animal or, or Miura, I'm going to guess Young Animal or Hux and Chun had chosen to split that one episode across two parts, uh, perhaps to alleviate some of the the gaps and releases. or uh, I mean, I can't imagine there's any other good reason why they would do it, because it sure is... A big departure from their release history, but I will say that um, when I saw that it fits so neatly together and that it, it kind of made sense with a part one and part two in parentheses, I was very uh, happy that it wasn't kind of an intentionally intentionally short episode. I was kind of worried this would be three fifty seven, and that when volume forty comes out, this would be you know two episodes back to back. Just the pacing would be kind of strange if it built to a climax within a short shorter span of pages i don't think that's a good move for the series thankfully that's not the case uh it's just one episode released over the course of two months
1: boy that was a lot of talking to be fair we would have found out earlier had we actually checked out uh the episode title you know more properly in japanese which that's correct i didn't do because i was traveling and uh you didn't do because you were lazy it also just didn't really care i feel
0: like after i recorded a one-hour podcast ringing all i could out of episode 356 i was kind of done with it yeah I sure I go back and look at the title <laughs> so yeah yeah i, I kind of agree
2: Noticed that it was written out rather than uh a, a number and i thought that was hmm. strange but i didn't well think
1: why did why didn't you tell me man i
2: didn't i had no way of knowing it was going to be a split episode since that's never yeah there's no
1: precedent for that's
2: it. never mm-hmm. occurred
1: yeah. so pull also told me yeah so it. but you know i thought about telling you and then you know i didn't i, was well, like, I
2: have the young animal, this recent one,
1: so... Oh, well.
0: Anyway, that's a potentially new thing for the series. I do wonder if it'll continue, or if it was a one-time thing. Of course, we won't know that until we get the next few episodes. I
1: think... So... I think it might occur again. I, um, the way I see it is, if you remember, uh, the um, specialized Japanese website Natalie said a while back that uh, basic publication was going to be regular again. So we never really got, you know, a confirmation of it or anything. But I, I think they are going to make an effort to keep the monthly uh, releases coming. And I think sometimes, like, when it takes too much, too long to, like, uh, draw the episodes, you know, it's going to be split in two. Maybe sometimes it won't be. But uh, I, I think this probably won't be the last we, we see of this uh, way of doing things. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that would make sense. That being said, you know, you sourced
0: Diamu on that one. And, you know, even Sensha has said so in the past and then they, they've broken that promise. So yeah. like, I don't I don't know who to, who to believe necessarily on that. It's it's always as always we're just kind of back to, you know, we'll find out when we find out about what the release schedule is going to be. But Yeah. They they have. I mean, to your point though, they have done they being Hokusen and Miura kind of working together, done a good job of keeping the pace up I and mean, we're at 6 episodes now in a in a row for you know, over the past 6 months, which is more than we've gotten in more than a decade, I think. Uh, it's been a long time anyway one two three four five six. we're on par with hang on hang on we're on par with 2015 prior to that it was a decade so if we get one more episode we will be within you know more than a decade since we've had that kind of pace wow
1: well, are we and I d- are you counting like because there's a split uh episode this time so are you counting you know full episodes yeah. or the split Totally. All that matters to me
0: is that in the volume form, it's not split apart. If it yeah. releases one, that's what history will ultimately remember. I, mean, I don't think anyone's going to give a shit about this in a year or two. I agree.
1: So. That being said, about the sequential releases, one uh, thing you forget is that uh, Gigantomachia was released like in 2014. We got a lot of uh, content from Murak. If you count sure. Gigantomachia, so I just wanted to point that out. That uh, 2014, we actually got a lot of a lot of content.
0: Yes, that's true. I I don't tend to count that. I think it was um, the end of 13 and end of 14 mm-hmm. is uh, what most of Gigantomachia was. Uh, yeah, it's um, end
1: of 13 and beginning of uh, 14. Yeah,
0: yeah. I tend not to count it just because I I manage this Berserk releases list and it just lists, lists out each Berserk release. Uh, anyway, point being, it's been a nice little span for us as Berserk fans, and I hope it continues. It seems like it will. I don't have any reason to think there's a hiatus in the next month, but I guess we'll see, as as usual, what will happen. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I guess we'll go on to the episode, after episode 356, part two. I liked that we saw the Hydra again, and I thought it was very interesting and surprising that such a creature while it seems formidable i never would have expected it would take three apostles to take down but that's what we see of course maybe some expedience was happening there they wanted to get it done quick and get it done now so that griffith could finish his assault and they just they fucking got that work done pretty quickly (laughs) zod grinbelled nirvan
1: yeah i agree That being said Zod did kind of look i mean he was kind of overwhelmed you know like with all the things you know like the heads uh, mm-hmm. wrapped around him and that kind of stuff so I think you know I mean we'll never know for sure but uh, yeah like you said I, I think it's, it says something that three episodes had to get involved you know and um, I think it shows like we kind of like I said in the thread when you look at Griffith's armies and his apostles, they make it look easy to like uh, slaughter these guys. But they're actually they're, they're not pushovers, you know. They're, they're pretty formidable in their own right. So I think it's interesting that apostles are not like having a field day, you know. they they got to put some effort into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I also kind of feel bad for the giant king because it looks like it would be a, a real hassle to wrangle <laughs> this goddamn thing. Uh, they they use ropes? Not not what I would necessarily use to wrangle a snake. I wouldn't put a rope <laughs> on a snake's neck. It probably
1: wouldn't be the wisest thing to it's, do. It's but. not a snake. It's a, it's a hydra. Okay, but yeah, For sure. Snake heads I mean, I mean, they, I'm just saying. They, they, you const- go ahead. No, they do get eaten? Like just before Zod, you know, uh, jumps in. You know, you you see the hydra. Eats, uh, oh he's eaten one he's eaten one yeah two two of them actually two or three of them
0: <laughs> so that's as it should be because you shouldn't pull a snake on a rope <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah. bad advice Wow. Well, bad yeah. other overall impressions here guys
2: well i was glad to see um zod get his uh moment to shine in the last part i felt like he got kind of a didn't really get a big introduction after such a long time not seeing them and grumbled and uh Irvin too, so that was nice.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's been I wanna say it's been close close to ten years since we've seen yeah. Grunbeld and Zod in, in, in action, since really since the assault on Ganishka and Wyndham. Uh I don't even think we've seen Ganishka or Grunbeld this close up since like the fight with <laughs> Guts, I want to say. I'm trying to think of another. No,
1: time. you know when uh, when when they're fighting Ganishka, we, we do see a pretty cool shot of him where he fires like uh, three fireballs at the like Ganishka blob things. No, no, I, he's he's featured there. I
0: guess what I mean by close up is I'll tell you a really stupid thing I've been looking for for a while is. Ever since Guts did you know his damaged, ah, uh, damaged cracked him in his face? Yeah, I understand. Exactly. Yeah. I was always looking for a kind of like a crack or a scar or something, and mm-hmm. I didn't really get that chance in thirty-four. So I was looking for it here. I, I didn't see anything. He looks fine. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: well, I mean, oh well. Anyway, so it's it's kind of become cliche for Griffiths to uh, skewer his enemies, you know, uh, through the eye. But it was funny seeing it here, where you know he's <laughs> riding on top of Granville's neck. And he does this kind of leaping strike, uh, leaping surce, you know, in the eye. So that, that was uh, that was pretty fun for what it was. I, I kind of like that. And, uh, you know, I like that the, the giant leader didn't even get up from his, you know, seat. He just died in his chair like an idiot. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was pretty funny. I like the
0: reflection as well in that shot when you see his uh, Griffith going, fo- you know, point, sword point forward. I mean, it looks really cool. Yeah,
1: in the eye, yeah. Well. You know, I mean... So, uh, as people have said, this, you know, is kind of what we said, you know, last month, but this, this episode is basically just an introduction to, to Griffith's side, you know, before further developments. And, uh, you know, I mean, for what it is, uh, I think it's pretty damn cool, you know. I mean, some people complain there's no dialogue, or the story doesn't, you know, move forward enough, or whatever. Or it's filler. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, you know, it's a comic book, so, you know, it's a visual thing, it's not just a book, you know, so you you gotta have cool visuals from time to time, I mean, that's part of what makes it nice, and this is one such episodes, where, you know, these battles of the purpose, you know, it's showing us that uh, Griffith has got a military campaign going on, which we didn't know before. We know one was being prepared. They were preparing for war in uh, Falconia, from what uh, Ricketts sees. But now we see it in action. And, uh, you know, for, you know, showing a battle, I think it's a pretty cool battle, the Giants are fucking awesome you know from what we saw last month with their designs we see the Hydra that we we had you know only seen once previously when fantasia came to be pretty cool i mean i have no complaints about it to me the whole function of this entire episode just 356 in general is how do apostles stack up
0: against magical creatures yeah now we know that some they can tear through like butter some require a little more effort and that's probably going to be how things go forward i would imagine that. I don't expect the Hydra to be the king-all, be-all of apostle cra- of uh, magical creatures. There's probably going to be more hardcore ones out there. Like, we know dragons exist. So, you know, it provides some grounding to what our expectations are for apostles versus magical creatures.
1: Yeah, and like I said, it also shows us, uh, you know, like what Griffith's plans are now. I mean, you know, a while back, people could have been thinking, oh, you know, he's going to stay in Falconia and just, you know, be, you know, just sit tight there and be fine. Just, you know, enjoy life. And we know that it's, that's not the case, you know. He's going after uh, the astra creatures. He's not just protecting, you know, the area surrounding Thalconia, uh to, like, welcome refugees or whatever. They're actually going out and fighting these creatures. So, I mean, that, yeah. that's not nothing, you know. That's, that's kind of a big deal. So, yeah.
0: It's confirmation of something I feel like we've been talking about for since 2010, really, like – I never expected Griffith to stay. I always figured he would want to secure the frontier. Yeah, even with the even with the Wingstones in place, it's. I mean, (laughs) I imagined that he wouldn't be comfortable with just that. You know.
1: Yeah, and I think you know. I mean. the Golden's plan, like the Golden as a whole, you know, they've, they've got this, you know, plan going on or whatever. And, uh, it's not just, just because Griffiths has got Falconia, it's not the end of it, you know, there's, there's more. And I, I think this is, uh, you know, the beginning of showing us what the after falconia is you know what's the next step is for their plan and yeah i'm I'm actually pretty excited to to see what's next and
2: it could be anything because this kind of ends pretty um it's pretty closed off so it could continue from here or they could go back to falconia it could be anything
1: yeah yeah indeed yeah i think you know yeah actually it's hard to tell yeah, whether they could actually, like, the next episode could actually open with them back in Falconia and talking about, you know, what the next move is going to be, you know, in their whatever campaign. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. It could be a temporary camp or something. I hope not,
0: though. I, I hope we get more in the frontier because, like, I was kind of thinking about this episode and people's overall response to it uh, and compared to how Mule was first introduced. You had this pretty standard, you know, uh, r- surviving Midland or Western forces versus a Kushan army in that episode. And then Griffith comes in with a campaign. But that's not the memorable part of that sequence of episodes. It's, of course, once Mule goes back to the camp and sees the apostles and meets mm-hmm. Griffith and all that, that's the memorable part. And that comes after a pretty action packed introduction. So I, I feel like pacing wise, we can expect something similar here where we're introduced to apostles versus the giants and how that played out. And then we get a little closer to the camp, or maybe we go back and see if they have like a forward operating base outside of Falconia, something like that. I, I expect there to be some background to, ju- to this campaign to be revealed in the next episode or so, uh, out there in the frontier, personally.
1: I, I agree. I, I think that would be pretty cool. I mean, again, Fantasia is great because it's just like limitless potentials. You know, yeah, it really is. Anything you could think of, and uh, I'm sure Mira won't disappoint on that uh, on that end.
0: Um, other things about this episode I wanted to say, uh, it's, it's not that big a deal. I was, I was surprised that, uh, Raban knew about Hydras. Uh, it's a small part. It just means that that guy has seen some, some shit out there. I'm assuming, you know, he's, he's the one that knew about harpies. He knew about the cockatrices that came out and he knew about the Hydras. So, you know, they've, they've been exposed to a variety of magical creatures out there.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, he's a, he's a general of whatever troops, you know, so I, I, I think, I think he does get around a lot, and uh, that's why we've seen them. And I also think, you know, if he's got any background in whatever folklore or mythology there was mm. back in the day, you know, he might also be able to recognize these creatures from these, you know, tales and whatnot. I mean, the same way you'd recognize a dragon because, you know, it's a freaking dragon. You know what dragons sure. look like. So I think that that might also be the case. That's true. The other thing I
0: thought was cool was we talked a lot about the podcast about last episode about the the, the giant and if he would speak or not. And he speaks. It looks like someone crapped on a piece of paper and folded it in half, but he definitely (laughs) spoke. That's how I interpret that.
1: Yeah, you know, I like so it reminds me of uh, when Mira represented Kushan uh, speech, oh, yeah. uh, which was unintelligible to Mule and stuff like that. Uh, you know, in, back in when he visited the camp and he saw uh, that Cushion guy. So right. yeah, I, I kind of like that. You know, showing a speech which can't be understood and yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it looks like you know it's got these little splatters. Looks kind of barbaric. I, I really love it it conveys something though
0: right even though if you can't see it and you can't read it and you can't hear it but you know the if you want to call it the font conveys you know an emotion to it yeah right? so i think that's cool
1: unleash the hydra <laughs>
0: Yes. I'm just glad Miura <laughs> went there because it was something I was wondering how he was going to do that. Yeah. Uh, this guy. And it, and he did. He did it. So I'm happy that there's some kind of language, some kind of intelligence there.
1: Which was pretty cool. Uh, uh, you know, I, I put it on par with uh, Diaba's, you know, uh, spellcasting stuff where he just says, sure. you know, some ohms and stuff like that, you know. Yeah.
0: I don't have a lot else
1: to say about these
0: these eight, nine pages of, of, of the episode here. Uh, Griffith just had to go for the eye. It, it says that's his uh, his favorite spot. Yeah, his favorite it's his juicy spot to stab. Sig- signature
1: move. Mhm.
0: Yep. Did it with Gennan. did it with the Cushion General
2: and this time he jumped up off his horse.
1: Yeah, he had to – it kind of reminds me of uh, Mayu jumping off Yoshi, you know. It's just <laughs> – <laughs> Well, hopefully the horse is not going to end up like Yoshi in one of those levels. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's a pretty high – I mean, you look at yeah. the – pretty That's high. True. So, I think uh, there's horse meat for supper. The next
0: episode starts with Grinbelt putting his cannon over the horse's head to turn away.
1: <laughs> You don't want to watch this. Well, you know, I think uh, they might just eat it. You know, I mean, sure. They're not going to do
0: that, though. This is the leader's horse. This is the great
1: leader's horse. It's Griffith's horse. It's a magic horse. he's going to, you know, get back on its legs. No problem. Yeah.
2: I wonder where he got this horse.
1: I've always wondered that. So I also <laughs> wonder who made his awesome armor. Like, yeah. how did he find that armor so quickly? <laughs> if you if you ask Mira, he'd just laugh away and say, Oh, well, you know... <laughs> So the kind of thing like like Skull you know, he once commented that he's just a character who flies just yeah. because, you know, he's just fly because he flies, you know, it doesn't make any specific sense, but yeah, it's just like that. So Zod's horses always look very Zod-like too.
0: There's one in particular in volume twenty-two yeah. and maybe twenty-three as well. It looks like Zod in horse form, basically. <laughs> like, oh you found the right one. Very beefy. Yeah. He does
2: that a few times, actually. I think Wild's horse Looked pretty wild-like. So I think he kind of uh, reflects his characters with their horses Mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm. Just as a visual.
0: Little touch, yeah. I I guess that's all there is to say about 356. Uh, Looking forward to seeing where else they go from this. Uh, I'm assuming this is the conclusion of Yotun. But we'll see, I guess, in a a month or so where we go with there. Uh, Because the episode was so short, I wanted to build in a section of the show here where we could talk back to – Go back to like a topic-based podcast uh, something i've wanted to do for a while but because we've been on the rebreed project for such a long time and since 2013 actually uh and the episodes have been in such consistencies uh, it's been a long time since we did one of these so i was lo- thinking about doing one on the bakiraka because i feel like they're very deserving of one they've have a pretty rich history in berserk you know that we have we have a lot of their backstory They've been around since Volume 9. Uh, so, I mean, why not? So, let's go ahead and do that. Um, I have a loose structure to this episode, uh, but we'll see how it, how it pans out. I want to start with um, kind of like their function in Berserk. Like, what did they do? Uh, for those that may not know exactly who I'm talking about, I'm not just talking about sealad I'm talking about... The clan of warriors that Silat and the Tapasa are are part of, which is the Bakiraka, which is a a warrior clan from the Kushan lands, but they don't actually have a a home of their own. That's kind of what kind of bonds all them together is they're trying to reestablish their foothold in this new Kushan empire after they were um, exiled. Exile. I I wanted to say exiled, I didn't know if excommunicated was the right term or not. That's
1: probably not right. No, because it's not religious. They were just, I guess, banished. Maybe banished. There we go. That's
0: probably the right.
1: They were banished by uh, a previous emperor. I think uh, in the manga it says about 400 years before. I I just knew it was hundreds. I didn't know about 400. That's interesting. Well, maybe I just misremember. But yeah, I remember it's
0: it's a while back. Okay. I'd written down that they were driven from the Kushan Empire for being on the wrong side of imperial succession, um, and they fought for centuries as warriors for hire in this foreign land. Of course, basically they're referring to the Western continent, uh, which is all the Holy Sea lands, uh, unable to return to their home, and they've become a f- feared guild of assassins, uh, been hiring out their skills for more than a hundred years, and throughout the Hundred Years' War, they brought down many high-ranking people. Uh, what's interesting about the way they're introduced is. We get to Sealat first, and he just basically is this mysterious warrior who uses a very unique style of fighting in the tournament that Guts shows up at in Volume Nine. And it's only later that Mira starts to establish, you know, who the Bakiraka are, what they are, and he—I don't think he links Sealat to the Bakiraka until uh, Volume Eighteen. Yeah, but um, you can kind of see where he was going, you know, from Volume Nine with Sealat's introduction in Volume Ten, the Bakiraka. I mean, if you weren't crossing those two, it, it was pretty obvious. But anyway, point being that Miura has, you know, from very early on established, you know, the nature of these people. And he's, it's only been growing with each appearance. You know, in Volume 9, we get at 10, you get to see how diverse the skills of the Bakiraka are. And in 18, we got the Tapasa and what they are and all the various assassins that are kind of hold the uh, – the rank and file of the Bakiraka, they're also introduced in volume 18. But then it, it, from from that point on, it kind of spills out what their backstory is. It starts getting established. Um, so anyway, uh, first of all, general impressions. Uh, what do you guys think of the Bakiraka? Well, I love them. Yeah, you Azil, you really are like the biggest Baki Rocket Cheerleader. And I like them too, don't get me wrong, but you're definitely the first one. Like if it was a if it was like a sports team, you'd be the first to like, hold the sign up, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. No, I really like them. I mean, I, I love Silat, I love the Tapas sign. Even the the average, you know, guys and the assassins in the sewer. I mean, I I, I think it's uh, I think they're great. You know, you, you mentioned the functions that serve in Berserk. I think they're uh, kind of an outside force and at the same time wild card which is you know if you look at the way Berserk is structured you always get like sides you get you know Midland and Tudors and you get you know Guts and he's opposing the God Hand and you get all this stuff but you know like a world is vast and there's never just two sides you know there's always more stuff and I think you know, throughout Berserk Mura always leaves little clues that there's more and more. You know, for example, in Britannis, we, we get many names of, you know, various forces, you know, uh, inside the Holy See. And yeah, the Bakirka, I think, as the most fully realized uh, manifestation of that, which is an actual clan of, you know, uh, fighters, warriors who have their own agenda, whose, I uh, uh, would say, side, you know, they side with different, uh, you know, uh, forces. Depending on the situation, they have reversals. They encounter various characters. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. I think it's only in Berserk, like you could see, you know, a character like Silat in Volume Nine fights guts, and then you know, you know, in Volume like thirty-nine, he's you know helping Rikot against Rakshas I mean, it's, it's it's crazy stuff. And these guys are not even like secondary characters; are like tertiary characters in the story. So it's it's you know pretty awesome stuff.
2: One thing I really like is, um, when they're first introduced, they're sort of this, um, they're part of capturing Griffith initially, um, by the Midland King. And then that sort of seems to be a running trend with them in different contexts throughout the series. Like, back when, um, Griffith was reincarnated, they're back to try and capture him but now it's under Ganishka, or I guess it's on their own, but they want to reestablish themselves. And yeah, I just think it's cool that that seems to be a reoccurring thing, and now with Silad infiltrating uh, Falconia, and eventually with um, the uh, Bakiraka Fortress, uh, I think that opposition that sort of continues throughout towards Griffith is kind of interesting, even though it's always in a different way.
0: Yeah, I think they are. I mean, if we you, you spoke a little bit about their basically their motivations throughout the series. You know, for a while they were tasked by with Ganeshka for capturing. Well, first of all, the king, of course, said, you know, uh, capture Griffith uh, or you know, kill Griffith. That was his initial order yeah. to them. Was basically, I'm I'm sick of this shit. He's just going to have to die. Uh, yeah. That of course didn't pan out for the initial set out for the Bucky Raka for those guys. Uh C-Lat was later tasked by Ganeshka to rest or, or basically kidnap or Trap, not trap, gr- nab Griffith. <laughs> I don't want to say kidnap. That seems wrong. Capture. Thank you. Capture Griffith. That didn't work out. But at this point, since Ganishka basically dismissed them in volume 27 saying, you're no longer part of this mission. They've kind of been like on an information seeking uh, you know, mission ever since then. You know, They still are. It, when they were in Falconia, they were trying to understand the nature of Griffith and the Apostle Army. I feel like they wanted to get more information about what these things are. But – I mean in terms of the Baki rackets role in Berserk like I would say uh they kind of work as like an alternative to Guts form of resistance against overwhelming power you know they they've trained their bodies so extensively and they don't entrust themselves to a cause like a supernatural cause they know Steel that has two opportunities to align himself with those things he turns them down both times saying he basically he doesn't feel comfortable aligning his clan to something they don't understand
1: Yeah you know I actually really like uh, that exchange with Jarif, you know, in yeah. Volume Thirty Two, it's really—I mean, it's—it's it's really great, you know. Ways like trying to convince them to side with Griffiths, and you know, like all the former Christian soldiers are siding with Griffiths, and he's like, no, you know. And and I, I like that the very identity of the clan, you know, the ways of, you know, Jose. Uh, you know fashion their bodies into weapons because that nothing else have been surviving like struggling pretty much you know if like if the word str- struggler yeah. would you know apply to anybody except guts it would be to this clan and because of that they, they just you know refuse it and um and yeah i think it's pretty great and that speaks to their identity and what they are and that's why i think eventually they'll definitely be aligned with guts in you know fighting griffiths yeah
0: and also just their fighting style. And the Tapasa kind of represent like what, what a human being can do just with a human's power. You know, not, you know, Guts is also, of course, one of those examples. Not
1: using the supernatural power, but just seeing how, how far a human body can go. Mura really loves martial arts. We know that he, you know, practiced uh, judo for, for a good while when he was younger. And he likes res- wrestling and that kind of stuff, which is shown in uh, Gigantomachia. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think the um, the Bakiraka really like the biggest uh, show of his love for martial arts in Berserk. You know, I mean, all this stuff, you can tell he really likes it. And you can tell he when you look at the attention to details, the way he draws them, you, you can tell he loves that stuff.
0: Absolutely, I feel like that's at the core of the the Bakiraka, like their martial arts. And when Mira must have been envisioning them, you can kind of pretty easily guess that he would base it around their fighting style. And basically, their entire clan or the entire culture, really, as far as we know, it is about their fighting style, and everything kind of stems out from that. And, you know, it's it's who it's it's their identity. It's also their trade, and it also kind of informs their their social caste, their social culture. I think it's really cool that. You know, it does seem like, particularly the style of fighting that they use, which Azil, I think you've said is fictional, but it has some basis in Kalari Payat, which is an ancient form of martial arts, purportedly one of the first form of martial arts.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very old. It's almost like... It's over 2,000 years old, so it's it's very, very old. It's uh, I think, predates even Kung Fu, so right. that's all it is. And, you know, I mean, even Silat, his name is, uh, like, that's the name of a martial art from uh, Malaysia and in Indonesia. It's uh, it's called Silat. So his name, the name of the character, you know, Mura likes to do this stuff, do, like, these little references. It's not to be taken too seriously, but, you know, it's a cool reference. And Silat is a reference to a martial art. So, you know, like, in the first place, you know, you, you can tell that's what it is. And, and yeah, when you look at uh, the way they fight, Kalai uh, Payat is, is very, it's a very acrobatic and very uh, aerial kind of fighting, you know, where you jump a lot, you, you do these fancy dodges and stuff. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I mean, obviously the the back area, as they are in Berserk, they, they do these kind of insane moves that are, you know, probably impossible. Not even getting into Tapasa yet. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's based on that, and it's also the case of some weapons like the urumi, which uh, Select uses. Or you know, what's interesting is that they, they are based on a lot of mishmash of stuff. For example, the you know urumi's or the chakrams, they, they are, you know which is the the, the discs Select uses. They are all from India, from very long ago, and and you know this kind of stuff he merged it with these guys, which he attached to the Christian Empire. So it's all just fictional stuff. But inspired by real elements taken from like India, you know, Middle East, you know, you know, Indonesia, Malaysia, that kind of stuff. It's all just a, a jangle of things that makes for this cool result. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And they um I think it makes sense that he would choose this basically he's tapped kind of a rich vein for martial arts and a rich vein of yeah. culture from our own world. and kind of made it his own. But what I like about just the Bakiraka's inclusion in Berserk, apart from everything I've said, is because they represent like a weird, rare foreign element. Like they're, they are a different country from a different country, different culture, different race of people. Um, it's a glimpse of the Berserk world beyond what we mostly see, which is the mostly European style continent and the mostly European style people and technologies and styles of fighting that we're used to seeing in the series. This is from a different slice of the of the world.
1: Yeah, and, I, you know, again, it's pretty cool. Like, when you see Silas' first appearance uh, against Guts, and, you know, like, I feel like at the time, the point of the character is to have Guts fight A human, which is, you know, uses a very different fighting style, more challenging than previous stuff, you know, like to have a a human opponent that is not just Boscon on on steroids or whatever, a big guy with a huge armor. And it's funny because you actually see that uh, in in the fight against Valencia where you get this, you know, traditional big-ass guy. He's huge. He's got this big sword. They say he's killed a bunch of guys. And then Silat just dispatches him so easily. Mm -hmm. And then Guts beats Silat pretty easily as well and you know that, that shows how far he's progressed you know and it's like and you know Silat is basically the last human opponent Gus uh, you know is somewhat challenged by before he moves on to Apostles and I think that that you know that's a kind of a big deal for the character and what's funny is you know Mira could have just left it at that but you know like nine volumes later in volume 18 he actually shows <clears throat> the same assassins And he shows them against, you know, average guys. And that's when you see how much better they are than normal fighters. So, you know, I just find it interesting that he decided not to make it a one-time thing, but to keep going. And obviously there's volume 10, but, you know, it's still going to this day. So I really like that. Well, he's clearly
0: building basically a bromance between Guts and Sealat over the past <laughs> 20 years or so. I mean, they're going to they're going to come together again. He's going to make some ring toss jokes. Yeah. Guts is going to make some ring toss jokes and some performer jokes. Yeah. You said that Guts actually, you know, was sealed out as someone that could challenge him. I'm like, I actually wonder because each time, you know, he has come against the Cushion forces, it's been kind of like child's play basically. <laughs> um what?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's why I said somewhat because, you know, guts is guts. It's sure. just, you know, like he's not invincible, but yeah, he's invincible. So, but you know, he does, I mean, he does compliment in his head, you know, uh, at speed and stuff like that. So it's just, that's why I say, I say that, you know, I mean, you can, you can also say that he's been challenged, you know, air quotes by Serpico, you know, in certain conditions because, sure. you know, Serpico had, you know, planned the whole thing tactically. But, yeah, obviously, I mean, it's guts. It's just, you know, he could be barehanded without armor, you know, and he would just, he would still win, you know, just grab the sword with his teeth, you know, mm-hmm. kick the guy and just kill him in one shot or something.
0: That being said, like, it was really cool to me. Like, I I, 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 I think I'm trying to dismiss the idea of still being a challenge, but I still like the the fact that he is as powerful as he is. And that came across really well in volume, you know, 38, when he's attacking Rakshas. And he performed... Way better than I thought he would against someone like Rakshas who has a very, you know, mysterious and kind of formidable uh, style of attacking (laughs) until volume 38 when you can see Silak going kind of toe-to-toe with him and doing really well,
1: actually. And I mean, and Rakshas, I mean, let's not forget, he's not just, he's got a strange fighting style. He's he's an apostle and he's one of the big five. So he's actually like, he's hes a super powerful guy. And what I love is that at that time, Silat says that his fight against Guts and specifically his defeat pushed him to train harder and harder and to like drop his ego and, you know, really get into the basics and get better and better. And that's that's how he managed to become this strong, you know, because... Between the time we first see him in volume nine and between when we see him again fight Rakshas, he's actually progressed a lot. Mm. We don't see it and like it's just, we just told about it, but you know, that's the thing. And it, I, I think it's just great that it's coherent that, you know, just like Guts, for example, when he fought Boscon, he sought back to fighting Zod and that gave him heart. And you know, Silat. Because of his defeat, he trained, you know, hard to become better. So I just I just love this stuff. It's very coherent. It's very, like, there's a progression. There's no bullshit. There's no plot holes. It's very, very, very well made, you know, very tight uh, from a, a plot, you know, perspective. And I just love that stuff. <laughs> I particularly like Guts
0: and Silat's, de- Guts' demeanor when he's fighting Silat. Because Silat, the way he's introduced is, you know, as you know, a very exotic, very um, graceful, agile warrior and guts just like barely, you know, in the very first time he fights them, he fights him. He doesn't even draw his weapon till the very end. He has yeah, to go over his shoulder, <laughs> just dodging left and right, and <clears up throat> and all that. And then as soon as he has the opportunity, he swats him like a fly, and like it's just ridiculous.
1: All overpowered. Yeah. Was. Well, I mean, it's it's also, I mean, what, what's great is that you know we we actually do see see moves and they're impressive at the time, mm-hmm. but. The fact they're impressive, and that Gus doesn't break a sweat, it's like man it's also because it's also meant to show that Gus has also progressed a lot in the year, you know, and and you know at that point, if you were to face Griffiths, for example, in the snow you you know he would just like he would he would catch his sword with his bare hand at that point <laughs> he, he's become that good, so and, and that's what that's the point of this encounter and uh and yeah, it's really great i mean i'll i i do not know I'll say that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Also interesting about that first appearance of Silat is, you know, his attitude, he is very cocky. He's very conceited, you know, not only about his own abilities in that tournament, which he very easily bests Valencia, but also just he's really talking about um, the, the the martial arts of this land or the fighting style of this land, you know, can't compare to his own fighting style. So he's not necessarily lording over his own personal power over them. He's really saying what i've seen from the best this land has to offer is not much and of course that's put to the test you know guts helps reground Silat's expectation for what to expect from western fighters but
1: which is which is honestly not fair because yeah. guts is like the strongest human you know on the planet so <laughs> absolutely but um What's cool though is that that's the that's the beginning for Sealat's
0: journey, and as you if you fast forward to our most recent experience with him, which is Volume Thirty Eight, you know, you can see how he's changed. You know, he's not that conceited young you know boy anymore, so full of himself. You know, he's he's a he's a very practical guy. He's a very um, cautious guy as well, uh, and he also talks about a little bit about how he's grown in Volume Twenty Seven when Ganishka dismisses the Bakiraka from the mission. To, risk to capture the Falcon of Light. You know, he actually takes part of the blame, um, saying that it was partly his his fault, his lack of experience that led to the failure of that mission, you know. That's not something I would expect to hear from that boy in Volume 9, necessarily. So he's grown yeah. quite a bit.
1: Yeah, he's wised up a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously we... I think even the Tapasa, the way they, you know, talk to him and that kind of stuff, you, you can tell he's, you know, like they expect him to be less wise than he actually is for his age. So that's, mm-hmm. that's also another interesting thing. Yeah, which which is a good enough transition for the Tapasa,
0: which is uh, one of my favorite uh, subsets of characters in the series. Just I love any <laughs> scene that they're in because he just... Want to see them perform at their best? Because when they when they are performing at their best, you know people fall apart. You know one one punch armor is just shatters, uh, heads explode. So uh, these four, uh, a bobo looking motherfuckers, uh, each with their own symbols on their bodies, um, on their foreheads. Their their bodies are warped from intense training. They look more like monsters than men, which is leads to like a f- funny scene when Luca first sees them in Falcone when they're have hoods over them she thinks they're orcs and she runs away
2: <laughs> yeah which is
0: really funny i always like that i didn't know this until azil had posted it but uh the hand-to-hand uh part of uh, kalari paya which is the martial arts which is somewhat based on uh the cushions or the bakiraka's fighting style uh, hand-to-hand represents like the pinnacle of the bakiraka's uh, fighting style And so there's lots of edged weapons, there's lots of swords and spears, as as we know. But if you're fighting hand-to-hand, it means you've mastered all those arts and you're at the top of that mountain, basically.
1: Yep, indeed. And there's another thing is that, uh, you know, like, historically, you know... Uh, People would walk on their hands and, you know, uh, feet and, you know, develop calluses there to harden them, basically, so they would be able to hit stuff without, like, hurting themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. And the tapas are, like, an extreme, like, they are an extreme form of that. They are... Basically, uh, you know, uh, lead an ascetic lifestyle and just train and train. And yeah, they've, they've, you know, forced their bodies into weapons. And, you know, to the point where, of course, in Berserk, because it's a fantasy, you know, uh, story, they can actually crush steel and bone and, you know, stone and stuff and not feel a thing. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Again, just, like, that base in reality and just taken to a point where it makes for this super cool fighting style. I
2: hope we get to see some of that training when we get to the oh, yeah. Baki Raka Fortress.
1: Yeah, man, I, I have a lot of hopes for that. I mean, you know, I hope there's straps and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, actually, in a way, I would like to see them take out Rakshas by themselves, you know, with, with like... Rickert's uh, engineering it's and traps and all these guys fighting together and working together and, and I, yeah, I would like that. You know, just I don't know, drone him in burning oil or stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. so that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, we can jump to that section, which
0: is basically like my expectations for you know what we know of the Bakiraka. I think the marriage between Rickert and the Bakiraka is a strange one, and I really wonder like what it'll produce because yeah,
1: and, and there's also Daiba. Yeah don't of forget course, die by yeah. course, yeah. yeah
0: didn't mean to leave him out but um you know Rickards basically he you know, he's got an engineering mind you know and so what necessarily would that produce if you come to a tribe or a culture of uh, ascetics as that utilize just basic weaponry you know well what what necessarily could you bring together with those two things
1: I don't know if you can say basic weaponry so let, let's let's go back yeah, Giant harpoons and yeah, let's go back to the Assassins in the Sewers. I think the Bacchus actually have some of the most exotic weaponry, you know, in the history of Berserk. And actually it's interesting because you know so India has a rich military history with many strange weapons like for example chakrams, which Silat uses. Is that a real weapon which really used and was used where a guy will like how to say, throw uh, this disc and he can actually like cut a head off at I don't know something like you know sixty feet, so that's not you know that's that's real stuff. And yeah, when you see in the sewer, it's all these very specialized guys. So there's the giant harpoon throwing dude. There's the small guy with the uh, poison dart, uh, and in the chick with the fire. You know, uh, how it says uh, the cannon powder, the black the black powder. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they're not. Why is it mostly being using like physical, you know, training and you know strange weapons, but it's very martial art based stuff. I, I think they wouldn't be against using technology if it's, you know, uh, in a pragmatic way. So, I, I don't imagine like silat using, uh, you know, an arbalest or something like that, but uh yeah, I, I could see them making use of traps or having a man a kind of, you know, various kinds of devices. And again, to go back to Diaba, I also think you know some some of Diaba's limited magic could have a use, especially if they're fighting Rakshas. You know, I would. I mean, it's already been the case uh, in uh, in Falconia when they when they fought him there. So I, I think we might get another uh, version of that, but you know, on steroids. Mm-hmm. Get another Kundalini, and- yeah, yeah, man. He needs another Kundalini. <laughs> Jesus Christ! If he got his Kundalini, he would have fucked up Rakshas. He would have just fucked him up, man, for sure. <laughs> I hope he can get. I hope he gets another one, maybe a fire, know, a fire one. Yeah. yeah, but the thing is, so I mean, the Kundalini. I'm, I, I'm quite sure he says uh, Ganeshka gave it to him. So mm-hmm. it does.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, that stuff's everywhere now. It's got to be that's something true. out there. Yeah, fire. yeah,
1: that's true. That's true. But the thing is. Yeah, could he? Yeah, he he does have a talent for charming creatures, so he might be able to charm it.
0: He's under a rock at this point. Just lift a rock, you'll find a magical, you know, basically a deity. Simple, I, think a, I think it's, it's
1: more of I think it's more for sea snake, though. Oh okay. no! Okay, oh, some some water on there. Big deal. Yeah, well, I mean, he could maybe he could uh, herd a few capes or something like that. <laughs> there you go, man. That's real. Uh, that's that's fact fiction at this point. I'm gonna write a novel youth, youth. he's a shepherd
0: a shepherd for kelpie
1: yeah uh when i said
0: basic i really meant not mechanical you know it's like this is a spear it yeah. has a point on the end this is a dagger it is an edge weapon cool. you know? yeah sure yeah not a, not a cannon arm or not a
2: robot suit or something like oh, that flamethrower so yeah a Designs, that's right.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I think you know, like they're faced with apostles and magic creatures and stuff. i are not gonna. I mean, I don't think they're going to be. Maybe you know, if it was in another context, maybe they'd be like, "We don't know none of your shit." But I think in this context, i would be like, "Sure, sure." You know, give me the the rocket launcher. You know, give me another one. Oh no, I'm, so I'm
0: certainly not saying they'll say no. I'm just wondering. You know, given their style of fighting, given their style of weaponry. And given Rickert's engineering mind, I wonder what it is. Not not that it can oh, yeah. happen, but just <laughs> what it would look like.
2: That's all. Pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It
1: like. Yeah, yes,
2: <laughs> yeah, it will yeah.
1: Be. I have to, I have to second that. I mean, honestly, to be honest, my like uh, the encounter between Rickert and Bakiraka, Daiba—it's it's, it's easily one of my favorite part of the whole series. It's insanely awesome. I mean, Rickert's little trip to Falconia and you know, out of it—it's uh, just. I mean, it's perfect, and I mean,
2: and it doesn't even involve
1: guts. Yeah, that's why, and and that's like the greatness of berserk is you don't even need guts to have cool stuff. It's just, it's so great.
2: Now, when we get everyone together and the big final battle, it's gonna be the craziest fucking shit.
1: I mean, I, I don't know if there's gonna be a huge final battle. It's it's a it's a discussion for another day, but but yeah, it's gonna be it's Inf- gonna be
2: infiltration. Good of some sort.
1: Yeah. No matter what it is, you know, it's going to be great. But well, yeah. When, uh, Silat talks about his village,
0: you know, he talks about basically the Bakiraka, though they were ostracized from their homeland, you know, they made a home out in the wilderness, uh, in this, in this area. And they, we see a little picture of it in volume 38. It's rocky cliff face, kind of very vertical, uh, looking rocks. Uh, I mean, it's basically, he described it as an impregnable location, they built their village there and they've been living there as assassins for hundreds of years. He says that, you know, they're basically going to return there. Uh, I, I wasn't quite sure. I'm looking at Puella's translation. He says, you know, I've been thinking about returning there. I actually wondered if if he has been back there. Uh, you know, I'm assuming in between each of these missions, he would have returned there. but But I don't know for sure.
1: Uh, yeah, maybe I'm not. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I would have to to check it out again. But uh, I do think it was abandoned for a while or something like that. Okay. Either way, very interested in seeing
0: what that area looks like and and what that you know uh, how the people interact with with Rickert and these out, outsiders, particularly someone like Diba who I have to imagine, even though he was basically Diba's you know right hand man in the shadows. I wonder if that's going to be, you know, a stigma around him whenever he returns or goes to that village or not. I don't know.
1: He is a solid in in Falconia, but yeah, I think he's got a lot to apologize for. I mean, they're, they're probably not going to be super because, like, Rickert, is an engineer; it's mechanical stuff, but it's still like you know, concrete things. You know, it's a spring and a lover and stuff. But Taiba's a you know a sorcerer, so it's. You know, I, I think he might have. Um, they might be suspicious of him. Probably right to be suspicious of him. Honestly,
0: yeah. Given his heritage, given where he came from, and given what he created, which is the the chamber that Ganishka used, and he made Ganishka into who he is, really.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I mean, Taiba's not easy, not really a nice guy. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. He's just, even though he's playing a nice grandpa, you know, these days, uh, he's uh, he's not exactly a saint.
2: Yeah, they were dumping virgin women and or not, virgin, yeah, pregnant women into that chamber. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I've
0: always kind of wondered how Mir is going to cross that bridge. Taiba was at the center of some of those things, and yet. That's not how he portrays him. That's not how he's ever portrayed him. You know, even whenever we first saw him fight Guts and them, it was it wasn't a battle of equals or anything, but it wasn't a battle against some, like, raving monster. That's not how Daiba was ever portrayed. He seems like a knowledgeable old dude.
1: I I think Daiba kind of represents the scientists who, you know, the irresponsible scientists who will go to any length to, you know, achieve what he wants to achieve and who will like cross every bridge and you know not look back. I think that's what he represents. He's a mad scientist. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked around him a lot, but we
0: haven't actually talked much about uh, Rakshas necessarily. Like, wouldn't want to forget him. He's a pretty important part of the Bakiraka as well. Yeah. Uh, they remind us on a number of occasions, including his very first appearance, that he was a former member of the Bakiraka who'd been exiled uh presumably for i'm assuming becoming an apostle i don't think it's explicitly
1: stated but that's what i would guess uh. Uh, if, if he'd become an apostle i'm not sure they could be like can you afford to exile an apostle hmm. like can you can you force him to live uh, it's, it's maybe not...
2: becoming an apostle was related to why he was exiled like the reason he became an apostle like something happened and
1: that would that would make sense Yeah, he might have, like, been exiled and then he, you know, came to a situation of despair where he, you know, sacrificed and became an apostle. I I think that that might be easier to conceive. I mean, they could have exiled him after becoming an apostle, but he would have to have been pretty, how to say, you know, uh, agreeable to just live without, like, slaughtering half of them. (laughs) <laughs> it's true. The most information we get about that is in volume 22.
0: The Tapasa recognize him because of his mask. Uh, and Stilat says he's surprised to see, you know, our clan's exile here. Why is he here in this place? And uh, It's pretty clear, of course, that he came because he's an apostle, and apostles are gathering around, you know, Griffith. But Stilat now, and the Tapasa kind of understand that over time.
1: Yeah, and in Rakshas, he's really... Um... He's quite unique among the apostles because, like, he's of course, when he first come to Griffiths, he has that famous line when he says, well, someday he'll cut off his head, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, he's got, he's a very quirky guy. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, he's very unique. Yeah. You know, even among even among the big five, he's a uh, mysterious. And, I mean, until very recently, we hadn't seen him transform. We didn't know what he was like. We didn't know what was behind the mask, which was very fun to find out that there's actually nothing Nothing. behind the mask. (laughs) Yeah, which is – I mean, it makes sense now that we know, but, you know, before that – I remember remember the podcasts talking about, oh, I wonder
0: what kind of creature will be under. What what creature would have those stabby things that he keeps poking out? I wonder what it'll be. And then the next episode, oh, shit, he's just the cloak.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it it makes – you know, again, it makes sense, but – I, yeah, it's cool it would have stuff. been hard to, to figure out before. Yeah. Interesting is
0: that there's three lights in his mask. You know, it's not that it's just a, a mask with three holes in it. You know, the mask itself sort of emits a light whenever the mask is being occupied there. Well, he's, he's because he's got three eyes. Well, you know? yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is It's not just holes. It's not, it's not just a fashionable mask. You know, the mask serves to show that he has three eyes as well. And uh, as until recently, you know, he had the same mask and he's swapped it out, uh, though he wasn't happy to do so with a different one. Uh, more flowery looking mask. Well, so, it's because Silat split the previous one in half. So <laughs> Yeah, I, that was a cool moment, too. Whenever he did that, it was just like, oh, yeah. shit. And then it just seems like he just discarded it. He was mostly sad that it broke. He wasn't really that impressed with the attack itself.
1: Yeah, he actually, and he knows, you know, you know, the other mask actually got fucked as well. Also. Yeah, yeah. I
0: actually, Rickert gave him a headshot with one of the, <laughs> the arrows, and he was upset about it, but he puts it back on. Yeah. Anyway, that I'm looking, I'm looking through right now the fight with Silat and Rakshas. It's so much more than I would have expected to get from this section of this of, of these. These two, you know, we've just never seen them go at it like this. We've seen the Tapasa and Rakshas, you know, tango before, but it's usually defensive moves. It's usually just bouncing off of them and and holding them back to do something. Uh, But seeing them go all out in volume 38 was really exciting.
1: Yeah. I love when, you know, like, uh, Silat throws the Katara in the mask and then opens it and that splits it, you know. It's just so cool. There's one interesting thing that
0: happens in volume 27, um... Where the uh, Silat and Tapasa are there right as the Falcons begin their invasion, or they're kind of like their decoy mission, somewhat, in Wyndham, and uh, Rakshas appears and leads them on a chase throughout Wyndham, leading them to the chamber where the you know the artificial behirat there is there and is creating the dot da- the Daka chamber, if you will. And I always wondered, I still wonder to this day, you know, his intention there. Like it sure, it did, and Silat said so as well. He said, is he luring us there? Like, is he intentionally taking us there? So we'll, you know, presumably so that we will see this and we will see this about the, the person that is leading the Kushan army. Uh, but I also wonder if is his role there was to do that or if that was kind of like the cherry on top for him being a form member of the Bakiraka, being associated with these people to show them the person that's leading them now. Or was he there simply to confirm the existence of that machine?
1: So I think his mission at several points, the first thing is he kills the uh, sentries so that locust knights could uh, storm the city. Mm-hmm. Um And of course, like uh, Silat and the Tapasa come upon him after he's done it. So he's got no choice but to distract them because he has to take them away from... Well, Locus uh, and his knights nice, will enter. So he takes them to that chamber. And I think as kind of a bonus, because he's got history with them, he tells them that the guy they have been serving is a monster, mm-hmm. which is something I think he, he went to recon. And, uh, and he might even have, uh, you know, checked out where Charlotte was, you know, f- so that the plan could, you know, offer rescue could, uh, be pulled off, uh, you know, flawlessly. And yeah, that's when he just leaves them. So. I think it's, uh, like, his main mission was recon, killing the sentries, and, you know, he distracted them because he had to, and, yeah. I still somewhat think that part of his mission, at least,
0: was to lay eyes on that device, because that was, you know, even Griffith being a member of the God Hand, you know, confirming that that thing is there is a key part of his plans moving forward with Ganeshka to to force him into that chamber to force him to do those things to leave him no option basically that's the main yeah. of his plans
1: I, yeah. I agree but i like I don't think I think he had already been there hmm. you know before he led Silas. there I think he led them back there for you know like to show them but he had already he already knew it was there hmm. well it, he's he says when he first lays eyes on it he
0: says hmm interesting whenever he first sees it but that could mm. just be a translation thing. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, um, I guess that's it for Rakshas. I'm, I'm very, I'm still very interested in learning about his backstory, his actual backstory with the Raka, what the actual fallout was, you know, even his sacrifice. I wonder what it would be. He doesn't seem like someone with very many attachments, you know. It's just a strange thing to consider what that would have been. I guess his body would be
1: a sacrifice if he didn't have a body. I don't know. Well, I guess uh, we'll see yeah. eventually, but I'm, I'm sure Mira will find something good. Yeah.
0: One of, I guess, all the other main five, oh, except for one of them, we would would love to hear the backstory for the rest of them as well.
1: I'm still holding out <laughs> hope that Mira will uh, do his own version of Crumble's backstory, which will invalidate the uh, infamous <laughs> novel. I mean, it's not impossible. Sure. Yeah. I hope so. I really hope so.
0: Uh, I do think I'm going to post in the thread a, a video of the Kalari Payat uh, that I found. It's kind of a mini documentary about the martial arts style, which I think would be cool for people to see. uses some of the similar weaponry that you'll see in the in Berserk that the Bakiraka use, even if their fighting style is not exactly like it. It's really cool to see in action. Yeah. The Urumi in particular.
1: It's clearly the, I mean, the basis for it, you know, what it's inspired by. But obviously, I mean, just like Guts' fighting style is not realistic, you know. theirs is also enhanced by, you know, the need for stuff to be cool. I don't have a lot more about the Bakiraka, I suppose. I'd probably keep going. Uh, If we
0: had more of a full house of members here, I'd probably would keep bouncing them back and forth.
1: But do you guys have anything else you wanted to add?
2: Not really. I don't think so.
1: Yeah. I am think we're good. I mean, except that Bakiraka are fucking badass. (laughs) I think
2: um, it was a pretty good call for him to introduce the Bakiraka Fortress as a third location and possibly some place that they could launch some sort of mission towards Falconia instead of just being somewhere in the mainland or straight from Elfhelm.
0: Yeah, that's actually exactly how Silat describes it. You know, Luca says it's it's doubtful that you could sur- anyone can survive out there anymore. And, he's, and Silat says, you know, there is a place, actually. So it, it is that third, as you say, the third pillar of survival
1: out there in the new wilderness. Which yeah. would be interesting to see. It would make a nice base of operations uh, for guts, eventually. Who knows?
2: And if we do get a time skip, that would be a better location than Elf Elm, obviously, now at the... Uh- time difference if we did
1: get one. And her farm is just so far, you know, I mean, they've got to, they've got to, like, they can't just go straight, I mean, they could, they could, you know, magically go straight back from her to Falconia, but, you know, if they, if, they, if they do so in two steps, you know, they they got to have a, a place closer to the to the mainland.
2: It could be a good location for um, Guts and Casca to train up and especially Casca to get back into the groove of things physically
1: yeah i think that's uh still i mean i don't know i wouldn't have expected
0: them to leave Elfhelm until that point until she was back to spec but i think the idea of casket training
1: with the bakiraka sounds way cooler than what i had envisioned <laughs> i think things will you know it will take place all the time you know in steps so well, yeah. yeah of course cool well, guys, I think that's
0: going to be it. Um, if you want to read more about the Bakiraka, I'm going to leave a couple of threads in the the thread that I make. I a couple of links in the thread where Azeal kind of went to town one time. Someone asked like, oh, what about the Bakiraka? Someone tell me more. And he posted like like 5,000 words worth of just like brain dump about uh, the um, Kalari Payat and the background of martial arts and all that. So I'll post some of those things in there. Azeal is our foremost Bakiraka scholar. So... <laughs> I'll, I'll point to most of his resources, but eh. in any case, it's been very informative, and love talking about those guys. But we'll be back in a month, presumably, to talk about episode three fifty-seven, and we'll see you guys then. Bye bye. See ya. The Skullcast is a production of SkullKnight.net, a Berserk fan community. If you like what you heard, please visit patreon.com sknet. Donations there do not go towards the podcast, but instead toward our resident translator, Puella, who ensures that our members have access to high quality text-based translations of Berserk. Puella has also been translating interviews with Berserk's creator, Kentaro Miura. Many of these interviews have never been translated into English, so it's very exciting to read those. That kind of work simply wouldn't have happened without support from our donors. If you'd like to chip in a buck or two, Please know that it all helps. Once again, that's patreon.com sknet. If you have a question or want to comment on the podcast, visit our forum, skullnet.net slash forum. Near the top, you'll see a section devoted to the podcast. There's always an active thread in there, so go ahead, leave a post, and someone's sure to respond quickly. Thanks for listening.